0: listening to the sermon podcast from union congregational church in east walpole massachusetts i'm pastor aaron shepherd christ is risen and it is the easter season and we are continuing to share the good news of jesus's resurrection to think together and feel together how the power of god is at work bringing life out of loss and new hope where there was only despair Here's this week's message.
1: The first scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 23. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what it is to hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly palace far away but far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word.
0: Our second reading today comes to us from the Gospel according to Luke in the 24th chapter, verse 13 through 35. Let's continue to listen for God's word for us here today. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? So he asked them, What things? And they replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. They recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, last week on Easter morning, we heard how the good news of Jesus' resurrection seemed to snap into focus as the day was dawning. An angel appeared like lightning, his clothes shining like sun on a snowbank, And he spoke clearly and definitively. He said, Jesus is not dead. He has been raised and he is already on his way ahead of you to Galilee. Now go and tell others and perhaps you'll catch up to him. But like moments, most moments when the light bulb comes on, those moments of clarity, it didn't seem to last long. For this Sunday, as we continue the story, we hear how there are two disciples who have left, and they're talking among themselves, turning over what had happened, what they had seen, what they had been told had happened secondhand, trying to make sense of it between the two of them. Then a stranger comes along, and they, after admitting their surprise that the stranger didn't know about all these things, they confess. They confess that they had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, the one who would redeem. Israel. Perhaps they had hoped that he was the one who would free the people of Israel from Roman occupation. Or perhaps they had hoped he would depose King Herod and become a king like David had with Saul and reestablish the old unified kingdom of Israel. Perhaps they had hoped that he was creating his own new community, that thing he kept talking about and calling the kingdom of God But no, he had been crucified and was dead. But then their friends had said that he was not dead, that he'd been raised. And not just the women in the group, there were others as well. And now they just weren't sure what to believe, what to hope anymore. And the stranger, a little odd for someone who just met someone else, scolds them. For the slowness of their hearts to understand. He seemed to understand that their eyes did not recognize him the eyes in their heads, but also the eyes of their hearts, in the apt turn of phrase from the letter of the Ephesians. These two disciples, they didn't see, they didn't understand, they were not moved by the good news of resurrection. They didn't have clarity about what it all meant, what it compelled them to do. They lacked what the letter to the Ephesians calls the spirit of wisdom and revelation, to know Jesus. And so they just kept on walking, as the stranger slowly and methodically interpreted the Hebrew scriptures that prophesied about the Messiah, explaining that he must suffer and die to redeem Israel. And the disciples must have been listening, at least in some sense, because by the time they reached a place to stop for the night, they wanted the stranger to stay in their company. But it was only later, after they realized who he really was, that what he had been saying to them all along sunk in. And it's a little disheartening, as someone who talks for a living (laughs) But for all those hours of walking and talking, this lengthy interpretation of scripture and lecture that Jesus had given them, all of that seems to not have any real effect until they sat down at a table and Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And their eyes were opened, not just the eyes in their heads, but the eyes of their hearts. They had clarity at long last. It really makes you question the limits of a lecture or the power of the pulpit. I guess rhetoric can only get you so far. In the end, it is the tangible things, the tangible things that you can experience, that you can touch, that open the eyes of our hearts. One of the great orators of our time uh, was Barack Obama. And he had this turn of phrase, this rhetorical twitch that he would use in his speeches often. He would say, let me be clear or let's be clear. It was so frequently deployed in his speeches that it became a frequent feature of the comedic impersonations of him over the years. But rather than a mere habit of speech, uh, Kathleen Jameson, who is a director of the Annenberg Public Policy Center, in analyzing this, this rhetorical flourish says that, let me be clear is a pointing phrase. It says, what I'm about to tell you is important. Another former presidential speechwriter agrees with this and says, if you're going to say something you want the audience to remember, you have to say something before it. He notes that FDR's famous line about, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, was introduced by him saying, So, first of all, let me assert my firm belief that we have nothing to fear but fear itself. It's uh, an era appropriate version of that, let me be clear. And though perhaps its most prolific user, Obama, was not the first president to use this turn of phrase, Ronald Reagan would often preface key remarks in his speeches by saying, let me be clear. And perhaps because this phrase is often employed by presidents and politicians, it is often uh, interpreted as somewhat disingenuous a smokescreen for some ulterior motive. But let's not make any mistake here. We need clarity, and it is helpful when an orator points us to what it is they want us to take away from what they are saying, what they want us to be moved to action in saying. And that's why, in the end, Jesus, who also had his own version of let me be clear, when he said, truly I tell you, He had to find a way to cut through the fog of misunderstanding. He had to make the story of his suffering, death, and resurrection clear to his audience of disciples that day. And so he took bread and he broke it. And it was not his words, but his actions that made the words come alive in them. The disciples didn't then suddenly call to mind something he had said while he was teaching them. They did not remember some key takeaway. They did not even attempt to articulate what it was exactly that Jesus had been trying to teach them. Instead, what they said after he vanished was, were not our hearts burning as he was speaking to us? It wasn't anything he had said. It wasn't any great idea he had conveyed. It was Christ's presence with them that had burned off the fog that blurred the vision's Of the eyes of their hearts suddenly with that act of Jesus he had redeemed all those hours he had spent teaching them all the words he had spoken so that when they were spurred to action to go back to Jerusalem they went to share the news that Christ was with them and so this morning let me be clear Jesus died and then Jesus rose from the dead We tell this story at Easter time, not so that we can get the facts precisely correct or to make sense of the logic of these messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. We tell the story because in the telling, we experience the risen Christ with us. Jesus, who rose from the dead, comes into our midst and dwells with us here, staying with those who bid him to stay, making this good news of Easter real. And tangible to us now when we when we experience the closeness of Christ when the eyes of our hearts are opened, the letter to the Ephesians says that three things will be become clear it says the hope to which we are called the rich inheritance we have among the community of Saints and the immeasurable greatness of the power of the Spirit of Christ that is in the church So let me be clear about those things, too. We are called in this Easter season to hope, to the hope that life comes out of death, that even though we will not avoid the experience of loss in our lives, these losses will not be the last thing. There is always hope, because God is always ready and willing to do a new thing. Now that of course does not mean that our particular individual hopes will always come to be. We may hope for a new job or a new relationship or for the Celtics to win the championship this year. We may look forward and plan for and even take steps towards these things only to see them not come to fruition. But hope in Christ is not a guarantee that things will work out exactly the way we want. It is a guarantee that whatever comes is working toward our good, and indeed the good of all creation. God's mercies are new every morning with every sunrise, but to faithfully discern this, we have to open the eyes of our hearts. And so let me be clear about this. The Christian tradition The traditions that we hold on to and that we hold as a church, these offer us a wealth of practices and experiences that can do just that, that can open the eyes of our hearts. In every age there is this temptation, especially in this present moment, to innovate and to try to get ahead of the culture so that the church can be relevant and stay relevant and draw people in. But relevance is not only or even essentially what draws people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Relevance is about attending to the things that are right in front of us instead of the experience of the movement of the Spirit beyond time, captured in that hope of Jesus Christ. Relevance is what those disciples on the road had hoped Jesus would bring. They had hoped he would bring new things to life, a new way of being for their people in that moment, and their expectations had been dashed. But Jesus doesn't redirect them back to the world. He points them back to tradition. He points them back to Scripture, to these old prophecies that are as radical today as they were then. Jesus wanted the church to be at work in the world, but he wanted it to do so through particular means, through prayer, through the study of scripture, through mutual care within the community and charity towards those outside of it, through resistance to power, resistance that doesn't resort to violence, through worship and song and telling the old, old story again and again so that we may have every opportunity we can get to experience Christ with us. And so, make no mistake, these traditional practices of worship and prayer and communal life, these are the things that give the church life. Those are the source of our strength. The preaching of the word, the breaking of the bread, these are the essentials. We see that in this story. Everything else we do flows from this Tradition and cannot be separated from it Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean we can never do anything new far from it in fact What I'm saying is that we should recognize the source of the power in the church That it is in these spiritual practices in prayer and scripture and sacraments in mutual sacrifice and service these expressions of a long-standing tradition don't look the same in every time and place And so we have to be open and ready to experience Christ in whatever ways his spirit prompts us to. It is that spiritual power, the immeasurably great power of the spirit of Christ that is for his body, the church, as it says in the letter to the Ephesians. That is ultimately what turns our hopes into realities. Of course, many of us here, I think, hope that this church will know that power, that this church will grow, that here strangers can become friends and friends can become members. Many of us hope that this church can make a real and tangible difference in this community, that we can feed people in body and in spirit, that we can help the vulnerable, that we can be a place where all are welcome. Well, let me be clear. There is an immeasurable well of power here right in our midst in the person of the risen christ that is a power that can overcome death it is a power that can make all creation new it is right here it is among us and so let's use that power let's use christ's power for christ's purposes let's not just talk about doing things like growing the Sunday school or becoming an open and affirming church or starting a ministry to prisoners in Walpole and Norfolk or serving as child care helpers for children living in homeless shelters or planting a community garden to grow produce to feed our neighbors or establishing a program to safely dispose of unwanted guns or creating a support system for those who are grieving the loss of a loved one these are all ideas that I have heard murmured quietly or mentioned offhandedly over the past months and years. These are all hopes. These are all projects in alignment with the purpose of Christ. And some might say, well, Pastor, you know, there's just not that many of us, and we're already doing a lot. You know, we had hope to do those things. But Christ died. The church is dying. But Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Doesn't that set your heart on fire? Doesn't it make you want to do more and be more? Doesn't it make you want to turn hopes and visions into realities, even if it's just picking one thing? Doesn't it make you want to get up quickly and go find your friends? and get to work making the good news of Jesus Christ as real and alive, as though he were standing here, right here in our midst. So today we pray. We pray that God will open the eyes of our hearts, that our eyes will be opened to God's hopes, to God's power, to the riches of our glorious inheritance here in the church. Holy God, fill us with your Spirit all in all that this church may live, and your name may be glorified. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope that this week's message has been a blessing to you. It was a blessing to have you listen to it and share, at least for a little while, in our life together here at Union Congregational. To find out more about our church, you can visit our website, churchbythepark.org, or find us on social media at Church by the Park. The theme music you're hearing is Dusk Till Dawn by Track Tribe. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our risen Christ
1: be with you.